0: but it kind of made me who I am today. Wyoming has it all. Breathtaking hikes, kid-friendly museums, two of the coolest national parks in the country. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. This is Outside In. I'm Nate Hedgie, here today with producer Justine Paradise.
1: Hey. Hey. Uh, so, I grew up on the island of Nantucket, which is off the coast of Massachusetts.
0: Yep. Very famous island. I know the juice.
1: Yeah, Nantucket Nectars.
0: That's my main knowledge of Nantucket is the juice. Yeah. Very delicious.
1: For most of my life, my family and I lived less than a mile from the island's only airport. Which, by the way, the code letters for that airport are ACK. Which Hmm. leads to all kinds of egregious puns, like, throughout the island, which are just this relentless source of suffering for me. Uh, Like, can't wait to be back on island. Like, let's do some activities. None of them are good. So, Uh,
0: Are there t-shirts that say that? There are definitely t-shirts.
1: This is my call to cease and desist, though. Like, we just need to stop. (laughs) But anyway, anybody who lives near an airport knows that sometimes... The sound can be so invasive. Yes. But also, if the wind blew from a certain direction, the smell of jet fuel.
0: Hmm. What does that smell like, by the way?
1: It's like a gasoline, but like with a like an oomph to it, which is kind of what jet fuel is anyway. You know. Okay.
0: Yeah. It's overpowering gasoline smell. Okay, I've got yeah. it. Yeah.
1: Everyone would get a headache. Nantucket's airport is busy. It's actually the second busiest airport in the state after Logan in Boston. Wow. It literally ran out of jet fuel a couple times this summer.
0: Really? Because it was so busy.
1: But despite how busy the airport is, in a way, they have a big issue. So we are literally overlooking the tarmac.
2: <laughs> we are. Oh, it's hard to get away from it.
1: <laughs> so that's the airport manager. His name's Noah Carberg. And Noah said that the way that people are flying has changed a ton. Locals used to take 15-minute flights on these tiny planes back to the mainland all the time, back and forth. Right. But now... There's
2: a shortage of pilots. What makes sense in the aviation industry is to fly fewer routes on bigger aircraft. You can do it with the same number of pilots. Um, That's a very, very difficult trend when you're a local small operator and you have nine-seat aircraft.
0: So it's just not penciling out for these guys right now.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm imagining like a spreadsheet. Is that what you're saying? I've never heard <laughs> <Yeah>. that term.
0: <laughs> penciling out? Oh yeah, when, you, when you're when you penciling out, it's just like when you look at your spreadsheet, you look at your budget and you're like, dang, I don't have enough pilots. Dang, I don't have pe- have enough people flying. It's all just kind of...
1: So here on Nantucket, the airport itself is doing fine yeah. because all of those bigger planes and longer flights are still coming. And locals who want to get to the mainland can just use the ferry. But there are a lot of people in isolated or rural communities, like in Alaska, Hawaii, or the Midwest, that really do rely on short flights.
0: Right. My wife flies to Alaska a lot for work. Mm. And she literally flies on little, what they call up there, puddle jumpers um, from one island to the next.
1: We call them pond hoppers. Puddle
0: jumpers and pond hoppers. So, yeah, like there are so many people that rely on these small planes and these small companies. This is wild.
1: But everything I just said, underserved communities, underutilized airports, the noise, the smell, the emissions, you could see all this together as a problem, or you could see it as an opportunity.
0: (laughs) That sounds like corporate speak. I'm talking
1: about decarbonizing (laughs) aviation, of course. Mm. Because some say that all of these dynamics could change with the introduction of the electric airplane.
3: We, We can do it. Just watch us. We're doing it right now.
2: That flight, I think, was every bit as exciting as the first flight in aviation.
3: And so if we can decarbonize, so can everybody else.
1: so nate if you had to guess or name a couple of the challenges to decarbonizing aviation to making airplanes Mm carbon-free what do you think they are
0: uh i think number one would be range anxiety if we have range anxiety for electric cars flying 500 miles on a plane i would be very anxious (laughs) in that
1: plane The social acceptance factor. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so the first and the major problem facing airplanes is physics. If your plane is too heavy, it won't get any kind of range and sometimes maybe even not be able to get off the ground. Yeah. And when it comes to going electric, those batteries are heavy. Hmm. The second problem is the timeline of fleet replacement. Because planes are designed to be in use much longer than cars. So cars generally 10, 20 years. Planes... 30
0: to 40. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like some of those planes, you like look on the side and there's like a little spot to like put your cigarette ash still.
1: <laughs> that, that is such an amazing <laughs> detail, actually. It's true. Part of that timeline is because they just simply cost so much to make. But it's also about safety. For manufacturers, the federal process for testing new aircraft designs is really intense for good reason. Yeah. So new airplane models take a really long time to come to market. So unless a fuel is drop-in, meaning you can use the same plane design but just swap out the fuel, it is by definition going to be a while before it's widespread.
0: Right. Okay. This all is making sense to me.
1: Despite those challenges, a lot of people say, actually, we already know how to solve this problem. I do
4: agree, yes. We do know what to do. There are some kind of some technological specifics that need to be worked out, but um, I'm reasonably confident that these are things that can be worked out as opposed to insurmountable barriers.
1: So that is Lynette Dre. She studies the aviation industry in her role as research fellow for University College London.
0: She sounds delightful, by the way.
1: Inspiring, (laughs) right? I know. So let's take a look at some of these alternatives. First is hydrogen. Right now, most planes run on jet fuel. It's produced from oil. And when we burn fossil fuels inside a jet engine, one byproduct of that chemical reaction is obviously carbon dioxide. Wah, wah. On the other hand, an engine that runs off hydrogen, the hydrogen is reacting with oxygen and produces not carbon dioxide, but dihydrogen oxide.
0: Uh huh. Chemistry. Dihydrogen dioxide. You love water. Water. <laughs> You did it. H2O.
1: But, and here come the cons. The big problem here is that you can't use hydrogen in existing aircraft. Meaning we would need entirely new plane designs to make it work. Okay. And another thing is that the source matters. Hydrogen can be sourced from green tech, but right now most of it is synthesized from natural gas. Okay. And what that means is that the emissions from the fuel itself might just be water vapor, but it actually takes a lot of energy just to get the fuel in the first place.
0: Right. I feel like there should be like, boom, like horns just going,
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I'm not even done yet. Finally, (laughs) hydrogen is very volatile. Just like kerosene,
4: it likes to blow up if you don't handle it just right. It has to be kept cold. It has to be kept um, under pressure and at the moment, it's pretty tricky to um, put hydrogen through pipelines. Um, hydrogen quite likes to escape.
1: That escape is called leakage, and it's a big problem, like it could potentially become a greenhouse gas if it's combined with other stuff in the atmosphere. And last thing is hydrogen is very expensive. so. This is only a solution if all these problems are solved. So it always feels like hydrogen is one of those technologies that's ten years away.
0: Yeah, I feel like there's a lot more than on hydrogen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if if we were to sum up the solutions by sound effect, uh, that sounds that sounds accurate. <laughs> it's got
0: too many now. Yeah. The
1: second potential solution here is aviation biofuels. Ooh. So have you ever seen like an old VW bus or something like that, which drives around and fuels up on all that leftover oil from restaurant grease traps? Oh yeah. It smells like
0: French fries. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Biofuels are kind of like that, but super advanced. Uh, I'm pretty sure they don't smell like French fries, but fact check on (laughs) that. (laughs) This is actually the most developed solution right now. Biofuels are chemically identical to jet fuel. So they're actually already being used for instance at LAX in Los Angeles. Con. The sources of the biofuels are not equal in terms of impact. You can get it from algae, from food or forest residues, or palm oil. Mm. So some of those sources are not great for climate or ecosystems in other ways.
0: Yeah, palm oil is uh, not so great.
1: And there is not enough supply of biomass to scale up for the entire global aviation system. And finally, cost.
4: The problem is that the price at the moment of these fuels is extremely high. So biofuels are two or more times the price of conventional jet fuels.
0: Wow. So that really wouldn't pencil out, Justine.
1: So on to our final decarbonizing aviation pathway of the day. Okay. Electric airplanes. Yes. Planes that run on batteries. Major pros here, no emissions from the flight if the power for the batteries comes from a renewable source. Mm -hmm. Cons, when you store energy in a battery, that means you're relying on mining stuff like lithium and cobalt and the weight of the battery. That makes it very difficult to engineer a long distance
4: flight. It is feasible, um, but it's feasible with some pretty hefty constraints. I think it's very unlikely before 2050 or so, unless there's a big advance in battery chemistries, that would be able to have a flight that can fly between the east and west coast of the US or that can fly um, intercontinentally.
1: There are other alternatives too, but nothing that's going to be ready and widespread in the immediate future, at least for these longer flights. But there is a category that is showing some progress, and that category is what we call short-haul flight. Oh, puddle jumpers! Yeah! And an electric plane capable at least of puddle jumping. They are not just on the horizon. They are almost here.
0: Cue music. Mux drop. That's coming up right after the break. But first, let me just say that you are the engine that makes Outside In go. I know that's cheesy, but you are the engine that makes Outside In go. And if you donate $60 or just 5 bucks a month, we will send you a sweet Outside In baseball cap. This is a public radio podcast, and that means that we are committed to never putting our episodes behind a paywall or only making the podcast available on an exclusive platform, which is awesome, right? But those are some of the main ways that podcasts actually make money these days. So instead, we are counting on you to give just because you think it's the right thing to do. It's a donation, not a subscription. And that's the way we think it should be. So give now, get your hat, and thanks a ton. We'll be right back.
1: Welcome back to Outside In. I'm Justine Paradise. I'm Nate Hedgie. And uh, before we get into talking about electric planes here, Nate, I just want to have a bit of a reality check. Okay. I think it can feel as a passenger sometimes when you're, you know, buying a plane ticket that what's really happening is you're getting scammed.
0: Oh, absolutely. Like when you're dropping like $700 to fly like one state away.
1: The legroom keeps shrinking. Airlines are offering you mileage programs, even credit cards
0: then there's baggage fees and like you have to spend a bunch of money just to get like some crackers and cheese it's like all these (laughs) add-ons
1: but despite all that and we did touch on this earlier aviation researcher Lynette Dre says that aviation is also a really tough industry
4: yeah I mean (laughs) you might think airlines are raking it in airlines go bankrupt with surprising frequency Planes aren't cheap. Neither
1: is paying people to repair or fly them. And actually, there's a global shortage of both pilots and mechanics right now. And, of course, a huge cost is fuel, which is tied to the sometimes highly variable price of oil.
0: So I guess when we're being, you know, squished like sardines into the plane and getting nickel and dimed everywhere, it's not like these like Jeff Bezos types are sitting there making tons of money.
1: I mean, actually, I think that they yeah, exist. Yeah, okay, they are. <laughs> I think that they do exist. <laughs> okay, okay, but still. Just, it's more complex than we think. Yes,
0: more complex than we think. A little bit of a struggle bus for the airlines.
1: And it's a particular struggle for small airlines.
4: It does cost really a lot to operate small aircraft, and a lot of small aircraft out there are already really quite old.
1: But again, this might be a situation in which decarbonizing looks less like a problem.
0: And more like an opportunity.
1: And more like an opportunity. It smells kind of good down here, like the grease in a nice way, like a bike shop.
2: So just watch out,
0: this floor and the humidity is very slippery and there's a lot of hazards like cords and hoses and sharp edges and things you can hit your head on, so
1: That's Jim Goddard. He's the Senior VP of Fleet Planning and Technical Operations for Cape Air. Cape Air is a regional airline, one which actually services my home island of Nantucket and he gave me a tour of their hangar. Full disclosure, Cape Air is an underwriter of NHPR, the radio station where Outside In is produced. So this hangar is at their headquarters in Hyannis, Massachusetts, which is on Cape Cod. This is this huge garage and workshop, and it had maybe a dozen or so planes on the floor that day. And honestly, Nate, this was so cool. (laughs) What is the specific task you're doing right now? Right now, we're installing the turbocharger, variable pressure controller, and throttle body.
2: I'd like to say one thing. They're very humble, okay? (laughs) Okay? Not everybody in the world can do this, believe me, trust me. This is why I call them artists.
4: (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Thank you very much, Jim. (laughs) I don't know how to follow that up. (laughs) We'll
2: take it, though.
1: So Cape Air is a relatively small airline. Their business model is to create hubs for these short-haul flights. And short-haul flights, by the way, are typically defined as under 500 miles. So sometimes that's a little more than puddle jumping. And short-haul flights are just about half of flights sold worldwide. Really? Yes.
0: That's a lot. Way more than I thought.
1: Yeah, so Cape Air's got roots on Cape Cod, another in San Juan, Puerto Rico, and another actually out by you in Billings, Montana.
0: Really? oh that's why they're called cape air boom i just like that just came together <laughs> i have looked at them and been like i can fly to Miles city from billings if i ever wanted to which i don't i know there's no need to, but interesting <laughs> sorry tangent
1: cape air is in a way the perfect candidate for electric planes and that's because they use relatively small planes their longest route is only 220 miles but also their fleet is at this point getting really old. Mm-hmm. Three quarters of their planes are from when they first started their business 35 years ago.
0: Their planes are like as old as I am. That's wild. <laughs> True. <laughs> I'm just barely older.
1: They are designed to last like this. Yeah. But at this point, they're pretty expensive to maintain. And Cape Air is replacing them with new planes. And remember that challenge of the battery weight? Yeah, yeah. It is no joke. No joke. I had a conversation with Dan Wolf, who is the founder of Cape Air. He's also a pilot and mechanic and the current board chair. And he told me that the weight of a battery in a comparable nine passenger electric plane right now is 8,000 pounds.
2: Wow. That 8,000 pounds, if I were to equate that to the energy required right now for Cape Air to do what it does, you're looking at about maybe 600 pounds of fuel. So you're looking at 600 pounds of fuel versus an 8,000 pound battery. That's really heavy.
1: Yeah, that's the physics they're up against. So Oof. that gives you an idea of the design challenge and the reason it took so long to get to this moment.
0: Oh, is that an electric plane?
1: Yeah, it's taking off. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I've been a pilot for 45 years. I've been a mechanic, and aviation licensed mechanic, for 43. So that's a significant percentage of time since the Wright brothers. I mean, I've been a pilot for almost half of the time that human beings have had the ability to fly. And that flight on September 27th of last year, I think, was every bit as exciting as the first flight in aviation.
3: The first flight of Alice on September 27th of 2000. Twenty-two was the most exciting day uh, of my aviation career so far.
1: So this is Greg Davis. He is the CEO of an Israeli founded startup called Eviation. So that's electric aviation. Kind of clever. Yeah, get it. And we just heard a test flight of their design, the Alice, which is in their words, quote, the world's first all electric passenger plane. Cape Air has signed a letter of intent to buy 75 of these planes when they're ready for market which is enough to replace all those aging planes in their fleet.
0: Okay, I want to see what this looks like, so I'm going to Google. So it's Aviation, the Alice. Yeah. Images. That looks like something Elon Musk designed. It's got... Tesla vibes
1: (laughs) I don't know if they would appreciate the comparison or not
0: I'm sure they wouldn't sorry (laughs) aviation it's just got a it's got a future vibe to it
1: so the silhouette is really distinctive it's sleek it is white and it's got these dark tint of the windows and combined with the the distinctive shape. It actually reminds me a little bit of an orca whale. Oh. Can you see it? I can kind of see that. So that wide shape is to accommodate the large volume of the battery, which is sitting in the middle of the plane. But the differences here don't stop at surface level. There's no gas, so it smells different. No heady kerosene smell that gives you a headache. It sounds different. It's not silent, but this is not a combustion engine.
0: You don't hear like like deafening sounds. It's more like
1: and it flies differently.
3: With fuel-burning aircraft, there's an advantage to climbing for reduced fuel burn. Uh, with an electric aircraft, uh, there's no advantage. It's, uh, it's just as efficient um, when you take off as it is to when you're cruising.
1: One reason for that is after a jet-fuel-powered aircraft takes off, it's burning fuel so that by the time it lands, the plane actually weighs less. Mm-hmm. But, of course, if it's running on a battery, a plane takes off and lands at the same weight.
3: So you're actually going to start operating the aircraft at lower altitudes than you would uh, for traditional fuel-burning aircraft.
0: Okay, but still, these are like electric planes with electric batteries. And so my concern is still like, what what is the range?
1: Greg said the range is 250 nautical miles, Mm -hmm. which means a mile that factors in the curvature of the Earth, which is useful to pilots and sailors. It translates to about 287.5 miles. Okay. So that, of course, would not work for an airline that's flying a cross-country route. But remember, we're talking about short-haul flights.
0: Puddle jumpers, yeah.
1: Cape Air's longest flight is 220 miles. So for them, this is a range that can totally work for what they do, flying from Nantucket to Boston, Puerto Rico to the Virgin Islands, that kind of thing. Cool. The Alice is going to cost more than a traditional jet of the same size to start with. There's one comparable model that costs around $3 million, just for reference. But Dan Wolf of Cape Air says that the benefit of electric planes, just like electric cars, is that they're cheaper and easier to service.
2: The simplicity of an electric motor, I'm going to wear my technician wonk hat for a minute, is so much better than the other forms of propulsion that are currently used in aviation.
1: Greg, the CEO at Aviation, actually told me that the motor for Alice works essentially the same as a ceiling fan. Like, there's more to it than that. But compared to gas engines, there are way fewer moving parts. Here's Dan again.
2: When my wife and I got married almost 40 years ago, we got a coffee grinder, which has a little electric motor in it. And we're still using the same coffee grinder. We've gone through a lot of reciprocating lawnmower engines and car engines between then and now. But that little electric motor, it will last forever.
1: Obviously, that raises questions about jobs, especially for mechanics, Yeah, because right now with their current fleet of all fossil fuel powered piston engines, Cape Air has to maintain them every 60 hours of flying.
2: And the engine has to be changed out every 2,000 hours of operating. And I think with an electric motor, I wouldn't be surprised if we were able to go up 10 times that and maybe look at a replacement uh, time interval of maybe 20,000 hours.
1: With that kind of savings, what they think we might see is more frequent but shorter routes lighting up again. And this is the business opportunity that both Greg and Dan are imagining.
2: It almost becomes a subway in the sky, if you will, because you can have the airplanes coming and going, a much uh, more frequent schedule with no environmental impact. It's sort of a home run.
1: This means that those little airports that don't see a lot of flights right now could get more action. Cool. But one of the challenges for this dream is going to be charging.
0: Oh, yeah, of course.
1: And Nantucket is kind of an illustrative example of this issue because it's an island. So (laughs) Nantucket gets electricity from two cables that literally run along the ocean floor back to the mainland. Oh, boy. So this could increase the likelihood that the island might need a third cable, which is this very expensive thing that everyone constantly argues about at town meeting.
0: That's a classic small-town, like, argument, you know? It's like, oh, we need that third cable.
1: One way to address this issue is that instead of having planes plug into the grid to recharge, Cape Air might deploy charging trucks at certain airports. But whatever happens, you can see that this is going to be more complicated than just buying and deploying a bunch of electric planes.
0: Yeah, no, it sounds super complicated. Like, what is the timeline here to get these planes actually in the sky?
1: Well, there are a few different companies working on this, like, companies that are making other deals with other airlines mm-hmm. but as for cape air aviation is aiming to have the alice on the tarmac by 2027. aviation has developed three iterations of the alice a nine passenger commuter plane which we've been talking about so far a cargo plane like for package delivery and the executive oh yeah aka a private plane
0: yeah that's like that's your elon musk jeff bezos zipping around
1: taylor swift to people that are you know oh yeah arguably less uh controversial yeah <laughs> <laughs> but this takes the heat off some celebs doing these little short flights you know across san francisco bay
0: exactly yeah now they can uh they can go to uh, skiing in jackson hole whenever they want to
1: yeah yeah i don't know how i feel about them getting that moral absolution but in any case
0: anyways okay Okay, so like one thing I haven't heard yet is let's say all of Cape Air's flights, well, actually like all short haul flights all around the world, they all go electric and all those electric flights are powered off of renewable energy. Is that bottom line going to make like a big dent in global emissions?
1: Well, yeah. So cutting a long flight, I think a lot of us have heard, is one of the biggest things we can do as individuals to cut emissions. Right. Globally, as an industry, aviation is 2% of global emissions. But as far as these puddle jumpers, let's go back to Lynette Dre, our aviation researcher, to answer that one. In terms of actual
4: climate impact, it's tiny.
1: All short-haul flights would end up being more. But if we're talking just about puddle jumpers or ultra-short-haul flights, this is about a tenth of a percent of just aviation emissions which in terms of total global emissions would translate to something like point zero 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 two percent
4: But that doesn't mean that um, we shouldn't do it, because I think it just raises the visibility of green aviation technologies.
1: One thing to consider is that it actually is very important that people feel safe taking electric planes. So having short-haul flights lead the way is really important to trailblazing for the rest of the industry.
4: Right. So I think from that perspective, it's actually very important that green aircraft start being in use, even if the overall CO2 impact is, is minuscule.
1: Aviation is notoriously one of the hardest sectors to decarbonize. But for Greg from aviation, that's just another reason to do it.
3: Because here we are. And we've flown the electric airplane. We're going to be delivering them to customers in a few years. We can do it. Just watch us. And so if we can decarbonize, if we can take fuel out of what we're doing, so can everybody else, right? That's the message it sends is we can all do it.
0: Okay. Uh, Justine, mm-hmm. do you think that you would fly in the Alice?
1: <laughs> it scares me <laughs> for sure. Why? Oh, I mean... I want to want to, but I think because I'm not used to it because it's new. Um, but I think part of it, to be honest, is these stories about electric cars catching on fire. Yeah. And I know that those fires uh, in EVs are um, like rare and, and gas powered cars actually catch on fire a lot more. Right. Um, yeah. But lithium fires are, are scary. I just wonder what would happen if that happened in a plane.
0: Yeah, because you'd be in the sky.
1: I think it's more the fear part of me than the, the rational part of me. Yeah.
0: It's, that's fair. I think it's an honest answer. People have irrational fears of flying, period. Right? Yeah. Like, even though plane crashes are incredibly rare, it's probably Hollywood's fault. We're probably, that's that's who we can blame, honestly, is Hollywood. <laughs> and I think if, if it happened once with an electric plane, I mean, you talk about, like, a PR nightmare. Like... Yeah, I just think of the, uh, what was that one plane uh, in the 90s? Uh, The Concorde.
1: I actually don't know this.
0: It was a supersonic jet, and Mm. it had a series of accidents, and gone. Done.
1: So, one thing I'll say that was repeatedly emphasized by everybody was that, like, actually, our aviation system is so, so, so safe, and they're really proud of it, and it's something they would never want to sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And there are multiple layers of safety checks for every aircraft, every time it flies, but also when it's being designed or manufactured, and then there's this FAA certification process. The Alice is going through that process right now, but that's not to say that it wouldn't happen. Yeah. Like you, you don't know.
0: So you might not be on the first flight, but maybe like 2030, 2031, after we've yeah. seen a few of them, you might be there. Do you think you would? Uh in same boat as you, same plane as you. Uh, I would not get on the first flight.
1: <laughs> but this just might be also part of our, um, our personalities, too. Like, there's the early adopter type, and then there's the people who, who wait and see, like, like me, I guess. Yeah. But I do know that there's other people on our team that are psyched about this. Like, when I pitched this, one person said, like, if you get a chance to ride in an electric plane, can I come? <laughs> um, but I do think that this also echoes what Lynette said earlier, which is, like, seeing these planes in action hope, successfully, hopefully, is um, is actually really important. So as for the folks who work at Cape Air, with this massive change for their company right on the horizon, the Alice is still a few years away, but they're already communicating with Aviation about the need to plan trainings for pilots and technicians. And during my visit to the hangar floor, I ended up climbing into the cockpit of one of their planes with their director of flight training. His name's Bill Guime. I get to be in the co-pilot seat. You're in the co-pilot seat. Uh, and frankly, it's, Bill sounded kind of psyched. It's pretty awesome. What do you think about uh, the prospect of flying an electric plane, Alice? I, I just hope it comes before I retire. Yeah, I definitely want to check it out
2: and fly it. I'm very interested in it. I think it's, it's about time that, that we move along. So I, I hope that it comes around uh, before I call it a career.
0: If you want to see the Alice test flight, you can sign up for our newsletter. We'll be sharing some photos there. Plus we'll be including a snippet from the cutting room floor about the possibility of uncrewed flights. Planes flying without a pilot don't miss it. You can sign up for our newsletter at the link in our show notes. We'll also post videos of Alice's test flight on our Instagram. Our handle there is at OutsideInRadio. This episode was reported, produced, and mixed by Justine Paradise. It was edited by Taylor Quimby. And our team also includes Felix Poon and Jung Yoon Han. Rebecca Lavoie is our executive producer. A special thanks to folks who spoke with Justine at Cape Bears Hangar, especially Scott Genthner and Joe Urbanski, the mechanics, a.k.a. artists we heard from in this episode. Music in this episode came from Bulmal, Bill Vortex, Gustav, Zavi Roussan, Bonkers Beat Club, Newell Teal Records, Alan Pike, Sharuki, Uncle Bibby, Scott Gratton, and Blue Dot Sessions. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio.